Please consider making a donation to the Historian's Podcast Yearly Fund Drive. You'll find the link to our GoFundMe campaign and an explanation of how to donate by mail on our website, bobcudmore.com. Hi, this is uh, Joe Kalia. I'm the author of a book that was recently published titled Our Town, Illinois, New York, A Selective Look at 300 Years of History. I decided to write this book because Ilian hasn't gotten very good press uh, as far as uh, historians have con- are concerned. There's only one other book that was written in 1977 which deals with the history of Ilian. Uh, from Ilian, I've uh, worked at the school system for 29 years, and I was mayor of the village at one time, and a village trustee. Uh, delivered newspapers for six years, so I have a kind of a varied background as far as uh, participation in, in the village and, and then about the town. It's a pleasure to welcome Joe Kalia Jr. to the Historian's Podcast. His book is Our Town, Ilian, New York, A Selective Look at 300 Years in History. And as you uh, started to explain, I mean, you've had a lot of experience uh, in uh, Ilian. You were a teacher there. Let me ask you this, though. Were you born there? Uh, Actually, I was born in Utica. I'm not sure why, because my parents lived in Ilian at the time, but... My mother went to uh, nursing school in Utica. That may have had something to do with it. Plus, my dad was from Utica. Okay. So I've never, never asked him, actually, that question. <laughs> so, but you grew up in Ilian. I mean, so you were there from when you were little, if you will. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I spent the first 42 years of my life in Ilian. And then after uh, that, I kind of went out about in the world a little bit and did some uh, principal's jobs in other places. You've got the 300 years of history in the uh, title of your book. Why that number? I thought it sounded pretty cool. And uh, the first settlers came to the uh, area that's collectively called German Flats, which really runs, I think, from Little Falls on up through Ilium. Uh The first settlers came there, uh, you know, before the revolution, obviously, around 1725 is when they came. And so I thought, well, let's start at the beginning. Is there a founding settler of uh, of Ilian? There are some people uh, by the name of Clapsaddle who were among the first settlers. There's a family named Steele, obviously. Steele Creek is a kind of a landmark in Ilian. Um, not that anyone, you know, did any one particular thing other than being among the first. I mean, they, uh, so there were several families, I guess you might say, who... Palatine Germans uh, spread all through the Upper Valley. I, I, they may very well be starting in Albany, too. I'm not too sure about that part of the, mm-hmm. of the state. Let's place Ilian uh, geographically. I consider it it's the western Mohawk Valley, and in this one little strip along uh, the uh, Erie Canal, Mohawk River, you've got uh, three um, communities, Mohawk, Frankfurt, and uh, Ilian. Ilian's the last of the three, or is it in the middle? I kind of forget. It's in the middle. Uh, you can put Herkimer in that same kind of juxtaposition because they're just across the river from Mohawk. So it's it's sort of a megalopolis that never became a megalopolis, if you know what I mean. Each one, uh, you know, for a reason. Uh, obviously, people settled in a certain spot. There was some gentleman wrote a newspaper article quite a while, many year, many years ago, when things were much more prosperous, and he his projection was that all those towns would eventually become amalgamated into one. Uh, it didn't 
really happened, um, you know, but uh, the, 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 you know, the germ is there, you might say, the seed is there. They could have almost done that. I mean, Ilian and Frankfurt are bought pretty good, and so is Mohawk and Ilian, but they've all retained their uh, local identities, and uh, so there was no mega whatever. That it came yeah, to. you find that upstate, uh, a little bit uh, east of you, you've got uh, Fort Plain and and Canajoharie quite close to each other, and Nelliston and St. Johnsville. Each of these towns, they, they ha- they're kind of proud of their own legacy. But uh, uh, to, to bring up a couple, another like pairing, uh, up in Fulton County, Johnstown and Gloversville, right together, but they don't, don't want to merge or anything like that, and they don't even want to combine the school districts which is something that you're probably directly familiar with. Doesn't that have to do sometimes with uh, sports rivalries that have existed for uh, many years? People become entrenched, I guess, and obviously there's some local pride there, and what has always been should always be. And um, I wouldn't say there's animosities per se, but there is that, you know, the sports sports drives a lot of things sometimes, and that when Ilian well, not that long. I wasn't there when this was all going on, but originally Herkimer, Mohawk, Frankfurt, and Ilium had talked about a consolidated school district. And the end result, Ilium and Mohawk were the only two that went through with it. But one of the things that people pointed out was, gee, we're going to lose all our rivalries, although they've sort of gone by the wayside now anyway because of the state classifications, you know, the ABC and all that. And mm-hmm. Ilium always was bigger than the others, so it I don't know that they play much of anything anymore against the, the local. Back back in the 50s and 60s, there was something called the Iroquois League, a sports league, and that Ilian, Frankfurt, Milwaukee, where Little Falls always played each other. Uh, and then you threw an Oni out of Norwich, and that was the Iroquois League. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's provincialism, parochialism, uh, what it is. But, yeah, no, it's uh, – re- retaining that local identity is, is very important to people. When I first became mayor – it was a time when they were talking about, you know, uh, consolidating and, and saving. And we had we hosted a meeting and 22 fee- people showed up from all those different towns. And we talked and we talked and we talked to try and figure out some way to get a ball rolling. When that meeting ended, the, the only consensus was that we probably could all buy paper products together. I live now and you spend some time in uh, Scotia Glenville, which is similar in that Glenville's the town. I live actually in Glenville, but Scotia's the village, and they keep trying to combine the police departments, and they each has a police department, but uh, no soap as far as getting them to to be together. I think sometimes people are afraid they're going to lose, in the case of police coverage, or, or exactly what it is. I mean, if you start talking dollars and cents, and you can show people, well, if, you know, we had one of these, and it was a central one, um, and we could save each community X amount of dollars, and it was real, not just something drummed up on paper. People might be more interested in that, but uh, as it as it goes, it's a it's a tough road to hoe. I mean, you you almost think you'd be talking about you know like NATO or something with trying to get you know foreign countries together when you when you try to bring these communities under one umbrella. And this this is the well. I mean, Ilian has three hundred years of history and. I don't think Frankfurt, Milwaukee, Herkimer, Little Falls are too far behind, you know, in the length of time that they've been political sure. entities too. Yeah. And that's that's you know, people people like that, used to that, 
feel comfortable with it, uh, all kinds of reasons. The um, communities uh, up there are, are known for different things. Uh, you mentioned that in Ilion, there is a well-known gun manufacturer, Remington Arms. How did it get there? How did Remington Arms become part of Ilion? Well, back, let's see now, i got to get my time frame. After the Revolution, uh, when the area that we're talking about became, you might say, safe to live in, you know, the, the Indian tribes have been pushed out, uh, people migrated in greater numbers to New York, and the Remington family came over from Connecticut, and they settled uh, in what we call Upper Barringer Road, which is on the, I'll uh, get my directions mixed up, I think it's to be the south. Like, uh, whole, yeah, the south side of Ilion, up on the hills. And they had a farm, and then they had a forge on a, a Steel Creek. So, you know, they had a good chunk of property. And just one thing led to another. Remington made a gun that was apparently a pretty good one. People liked it. And people wanted to buy one and buy another one, buy another one. All of a sudden, he had a business. And, of course, the Erie Canal came through, and that helped everybody out all across central, all across the state from all to to Buffalo, and uh, the business got even bigger and bigger. What became, uh, what started out as a small little uh, forge and making some guns became a rather sprawling factory, which eventually made a lot of other things, too. Remington's were very progressive when it came to trying something new. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh, obviously, the typewriter is another example of something that did work out very well. So that's how it got started. And in recent years, they've been become known for manufacturing assault rifles and also running afoul, if that's the word, of uh, New York State regulations uh, that are trying to control uh, the use of guns. Yeah, you know, uh, being in the gun business these days is you know not exactly. Uh politically correct anymore. Remington obviously was a big help during the Civil War, World War One, World War Two, and, you know, did a lot of uh, government contracts after World War Two was over with. That aspect of things kind of petered out, and they had to stand alone on their sporting weapons. They did make some riot guns for police departments and things of that nature, but the government contracts weren't there. And uh, as a result... Uh, you know, that aspect of their business wasn't flourishing. And uh, then we start running into all this trouble nowadays with too high-powered a gun in the hands of people that maybe don't really need a high-powered gun for for hunting, obviously. You can't hunt with an assault rifle. Um, and things, the waters have gotten very muddied. And then mm-hmm. when DuPont sold Remington, um, it started to pass through the hands of different people who were Kind of, I don't understand the economics of a business cycle of the whole thing, but they were kind of they're taking the money out of Remington, but not putting much back into it, I guess. Mm. And as a result, the business has faltered, and it's hanging out now by, I think, a thread, really. And the headquarters of Remington has moved to another state, right? Oh, they're all over the place. I'm not even sure where they are. I think, I think it's in the south. It could be North Carolina. It could be Alabama. Uh, something like that. Yeah, when somebody buys the car. Well, see, that's what happened, too, I think, with uh, Univac. They were purchased, and Utah became the place where, you know, they pulled stuff out of Italy to go there. Whoever owns a company can decide, I guess, you know, where I want to run the business from. So Remington has diversified its holdings, and there were five or six different places. 
I'm not even sure if they make a complete gun annealing anymore, mm. whether they bring in you know the parts from different places and where the final assembly is. I don't know enough about that. Remington still exists in Ilian. Does it employ a lot of people, or no. Or, or no? My my understanding, it's a few hundred uh, down. You know, from thousands at one time. I mean, there used to be three shifts there. I always marveled and wondered myself because I don't I don't own a gun. Who buys all these guns? But I guess it's sort of when you're a collector, you know, you want the latest, best, and nicest, and people pull out of money into buying them. Mm-hmm. And they they had a quality product, but uh, it's you know management is really um, you know it's gone down the tubes. I guess I don't know if the quality isn't there, but um, the local manufacturing certainly isn't. You know, one thing I this backs up has really nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I forgot to ask you, why is it called Ilian? What does that mean? That's a Ilian is a, the Greek name for Troy, so that's where the word comes from. And back in the 1800s, when the, the Erie Canal really put Ilian on the map, it used to be called Morgan's Landing for the name of a guy who ran a business there and it was on the canal and landing and all that sort of thing. And then uh, as time went by, it went through a variety of different names. And most people wanted to name it after the Remingtons, Remington Corners, Remington, New York, except that a life at Remington II wanted no part of it. I've never actually read why other than he was, I don't know, maybe even modest and didn't feel like he wanted his name put out there that much. I don't know. So in 1852, when they wanted to incorporate the village, Remington and another fellow, um, sort of a committee of two, thought about it and said, you know what, let's use, let's call it Ilian. You know, it's a classical, like classical names were big in New York State back in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s. If you look out to western New York, it's classical names all the way out. Uh, Syracuse, for example, obviously Rome. Um, and so they, they just kind of picked that one and nobody seemed to object. If Remington wanted it, it was pretty much... Well, we'll give him what he wants. So it's, it's been alien ever since. I've, I've been doing a study uh, research myself now. On a, I'm going to write another volume to the book, volume two. And uh, one of the things I was looking into for the, one of the chapters was the proliferation or non-proliferation of the name Ilian. And I'm finding out there are very few places in the world named Ilian. Not necessarily a surprise, but there are places in New York who have an Ilian Street, for example. Um, I'm trying to think now. I can't remember. I just got done doing some of this research. But uh, there are, uh, oh, Tonawanda has a, a North Ilian Street. And there's an Ilian Street in Minnesota. And there's a few hotels and places. Greece, as you might suspect, Athens, Greece has a suburb called Ilian. So the name is, is I won't say it's exclusive, but it doesn't. it's not an overplayed name by any means. It's not like Elm Street. Everybody has Elm Street, but no Elm Trees. But, uh, yeah. so, yeah, that's kind of the short, long story short, I guess, of uh, the naming Elian. But um, maybe I should bring this up, or I'll bring this up now. Uh, you said that there's little written about Ilian, but uh, lo and behold, this summer we've had on the podcast two authors talking about Ilian. Uh, Some time back we spoke with Kevin Hall, who wrote a memoir, more or less, My Childhood, My Memories, Growing Up in a Bygone Era. 
and he grew up in uh, Ilian, New York, as as you did. I, I believe you and he have met. In fact, you've done some joint uh, presentations together. Yeah, well, he was a student of mine back in the early 70s. And then uh-huh. his father, who worked for Univac, got transferred to Minnesota. So Kevin left Ilian around the age of 13. And then maybe six months or so ago, maybe a little longer than that, I got an email from him asking me if I was the same guy who was his teacher back in the day. I said, yep, that's me. And then he started talking about how he was writing. He wrote them originally. He got started by writing little booklets for his grandchildren, the family histories. And then he, he gave away, you know, 10, 20 copies to members of the family. And we talked about it. I'm not saying I was the uh, impetus for him, but we did talk about, you know, well, you know, there might be a broader audience out there for that. And, Kevin picked up that ball too, and he's uh, done well with that. So yeah, we we were together at the Ilian uh, Ilian days. I had a, a book signing at the library, which went very well. And, you know, yeah, Ilian goes forever with one book, and all of a sudden here they come. We've talked about the Remington Arms, uh, the manufacturer. Uh, we talked about the unusual name, uh, its placement in the Western Mohawk Valley. T- tell us something else about it. What, what are some of the stories that you found about? Ilian history. Two jump out at me for one for a very personal reason, the other one because it's just fascinating. Uh, back in the 1880s ish, uh, bobsledding was invented in uh, Switzerland. They mm-hmm. wanted something to keep the tourists there year round, and so they, they invented bobsledding and it spread. And Ilian, for whatever the reason, it was a very progressive place back in those days. Uh, they picked up on it and thought it was pretty cool. So Second Street, West Hill, is a main drag in Ilian coming into the downtown area. And they used to close that off, and there'd be a few thousand people there, and people would come from Schenectady and uh, Albany and bring their bobsleds down there. And a couple nights a week, they would light the thing up with, uh, they had some electricity, they had gas lights, they had Chinese lanterns. It was like a, a county fair two times a week and in the wintertime, and, and people would even bet on it. Uh, and it was quite a quite a civic affair. The bobsledding went on for quite a quite a few years. It's interesting you bring that up. As you may know, I'm from Amsterdam. I mainly write about Amsterdam, New York. They had a similar thing. Uh, Amsterdam is a very hilly city, and on its hilly Market Street and Northampton Road, they had bobsled festivals. Uh, I want to say back in the 1880s, uh, they kept it up until the traffic got too big and there were um, I think there was, was at least one fatal accident with the, the bobsledders, but a similar idea. They'd come by train. They'd come up from Albany. They'd come from the West. Maybe they came from Illion and maybe some of the bobsledders from Amsterdam would uh, go up there. That's interesting. And actually there was a fatality in Illion that kind of put the kibosh on it too. Uh, they hit the bridge going down the hill and the guy was killed. That's interesting. I mean, I, I know a little about Amsterdam, but I haven't driven through there. There certainly are plenty of hills there that could go down, too. Yes. Well, when I was a kid, they called it the city of hills, mills, and grills, and also <laughs> bobsledding. But what's the other story you were going to bring up, unless you had more to say about the bobsleds? The, the other one, of course, when I was a kid in the 1960s, uh, uh, John Kennedy on his campaign uh, run through back in those days, they actually went to places, all places, instead of just picking out the five that you got to go to. 
And uh, he came to Ilium, and it was a big deal. They let us out of school. Of course, it became a bigger deal over time when we realized what was going on. I mean, when you're 12, 13 years old and the principal says, go downtown and see the candidate, you went. You know, you didn't go anywhere else. You went and do what you were told to do. So we were all down there, and I took some pictures, and it, uh, of course, it became a much bigger and more memorable event as time went by and all the things that happened with Kennedy. And uh, while I was mayor, we we placed a uh, marker, which right now nobody can find, uh, approximating the spot where the speech was given. And uh, for a lot of people, that was it was a big event. He was, as far as we know, the only presidential candidate whoever came to Ilian. Um, and Ilian, because of some political uh, connections, got to be the town he was going to. He could have gone anywhere, Herker and Mohawk, Frankfurt, but they pulled some strings and he showed up in Ilian and uh, gave a you know 15-minute speech. There's video of someone's home movie of the motorcade coming into town. and There's several pictures showing him making speeches backdrop of places around town. And, Mm-hmm. For a generation of us who went down there, saw that, experienced the Kennedy years and the tragedies went with it, uh, that has become uh, an enduring memory that, you know, will mm-hmm. last our lifetimes. And that was JFK, right? Yes, sir. A similar thing happened in Amsterdam. Uh, JFK campaigned in Amsterdam, which might not have been as unusual as campaigning in Ilian. Uh, he came with the then popular congressman uh, Sam Stratton, and they didn't let us out of school. I skipped school to go see him. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was spoke downtown in a in a parking lot, as I recall. I don't know if that was the trip where he would have gone to Ilian, but he went west, and the, the coverage that I was following from the Montgomery County newspapers, he, I think he uh, made an appearance in St. Johnsville and also Little Falls and places like uh, that maybe that was when he came to Ilian. Probably was because they didn't I mean they weren't going to make too many of those repeat trips, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, he did. He went to. He started out. He was. I think he was in Syracuse. I don't remember the transition, but he did go to Troy, and then they, you know, he backtracked a little bit. Then he came down through and on came up through the valley. Uh, so it very well could have been the same same time frame, but. Uh, you know, again, it was if if you were there, you know what I mean, and you experienced everything that went with it. Uh, it was a it was a big deal. Did you have a nice downtown? You had a movie theater. One of my regular readers, uh, Emil Suda, loves stories about theaters, and says there was a theater, a movie theater in Ilion. Little Falls, Ilion, Frankfurt. We all I don't think Mohawk had one, but they all had a. It was a Shine was the name of the. Yeah company and it was a you know they were almost uh, mirror images of each other from the outside i didn't or what didn't go in all of them but uh yeah you know we had, that is one of the if you want to call it the most controversial topics about aliens history is the urban renewal that took place uh, many people who never saw it bemoan the fact that they never got to see it because you know the, the core of the town was taken down and a, a more modern look was put in. Um, there's pros and cons all the way around. I think the, the part that escapes people a little bit is times were changing anyway. W.T. Grant was going to close no matter what. You know, whether they, in other places, 
the mom and pop stores gave way to the big box stores. And I remember uh, New Hartford Shopping Center became Mecca. Everybody had to go to New Hartford Shopping Center Christmas shopping. They didn't shop at home anymore. So, you know, there would have been economic and uh, business changes with or without the urban renewal. But a lot of people rue the fact they missed something when, when all those buildings disappeared. And I think I've um, told you, and I probably told Kevin Hall as well during his interview, uh, that um, my sister, who's been deceased for some years, lived in Illy, and at the end of her life, she was a teacher in Herkimer, taught music. She really liked Illy, and she had moved there because uh, her companion, um, Jean Morey, was from Illy. But as, sure. I, as I recall, you don't remember the Moreys, and yeah. probably, or, or do you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Jean, I believe, was in my sister's class, and she had a brother. I think his name was Bob. He was a year or so older than I was. So they lived at the bottom of a hill, maybe three blocks from our house. Yeah. Their dad was the milkman. Or he was a milkman. In That's Illion. very possible. He only had a lot of milkmen. There were trucks all over the place. I, I don't know that for a fact, but it sounds, it sounds familiar. Yeah. When uh, Arlene was still alive, uh, you know, again, toward the end of her life, I'd go up there and we'd go for walks sometimes in uh, Ilian. Seemed to be, always seemed to me to be a nice, uh, a nice little place. Maybe the nicest one of the towns up there, which the other towns probably wouldn't agree. It, it sort of had tiered diversity. You know, there was the up on the hill, then there was the flats, and there was a lower downtown. You might say where the older part of the village was. So it was kind of three parts to it. Since then, Illinois had the problem in recent years. It's it's locked. It can't grow any bigger. We got the river, Frankfurt, Mohawk. The only place Illinois could grow was to the south, and then you run into what's called Illinois Gorge. Uh, Canajeri has a gorge like that. Frankfurt has a gorge where the runoff comes down, you know, um, from the highlands down to the Mohawk. So Illinois was always kind of limited in how much it could grow, but they certainly filled in very nicely. And it is. I always thought I came from a small town, but then I've in my lifetime, I've seen places a lot smaller, and I thought, well, I guess it wasn't so small after all. It wasn't <laughs> a city by any means, but, you know, it had everything. You know, it was a self-contained community back in the day. You didn't have to go anywhere else. Yeah. Everything was there. As the whole valley suffered post-World War II, you know, every community decreased in size. You know, enrollments were down. When I graduated from Illion, we had the largest class. It was 210 in that class. And when I became Prince of Million, we're talking classes of 120, 130, you know, and proportionally that happened in Frankfurt, Herkimer Million, and I think all across pretty much the central part of the state, you know, when the industry started closing and people had to go elsewhere to work, a school, school district is a reflection of that. You know, you don't have as many students, so you don't need as many teachers. When my sister, Joe, uh, taught school in Herkimer when she first uh, started out, when Arlene did back in around 1958, they had a big staff in the music department and she taught at an elementary school, the Bills School, uh, that had a you know pretty decent enrollment. And when lunchtime would come, the teachers would walk over to the Hotel Herkimer for lunch. They'd walk over to the hotel where the hotel would serve them a luncheon. You know? <laughs> I mean, they had to pay for it, but I, every day it was like a charming time, you know. It was... and, oh, well, they actually have a full hour, too, back in those days. I mean, I remember as a student 
coming home at noon and going back at one o'clock. They only had whistles when the arms had a whistle that blew at seven, nine, twelve, one, and four. So you, you know, your day was, you know, they got the signal when to beware. And uh, so we had a full hour. So yeah, you could have a nice lunch. Guys from the arms would come home for lunch, you know, drive to cars home, yeah. have a full, full spread. So yeah, lunch, lunch hour really was back in those days. And more leisurely and probably more enjoyable than wolfing it down in 30 minutes. Joe Kalia Jr. is author of the book, Our Town, Ilian, New York, A Selective Look at 300 Years of History. You've been listening to The Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Please help us keep The Historian's Podcast going with a donation to our 2022 Fund Drive. You can donate via GoFundMe. You'll find that link on our website, bobcudmore.com, or send a check made out to Bob Cudmore to 125 Horstman Drive, Scotia, New York, 12302. And thank you very much.